Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, everyone. Hello, my name's Thomas. I hope you're excited to be back worshipping with us here at Central. I am. I just think it's great to be here. I'm just absolutely loving being back here. It's been a few weeks since we've been here, and even then we had all the Christmas stuff, which is great, but it's not quite like being here, is it, on a, on a Sunday evening, just letting rip with worship. Um, thanks, guys, for leading us so well. Can we just give them a round of applause? <laughs> We hope that you had a fantastic holiday and that you kind of received everything that your hearts desired if you had a holiday. I want to just ask, was there anybody working here on Christmas Day? Give me a little wave. We've got a few people. Should we give a shout out to these guys? Let's just give them a round of applause as well. just think that's amazing. Thank you. Um, it's a new year. It's a new start. And it's up to me to do the New Year Sermon. So this is where I get to say stuff like, how are you going to change the world this year? How are you going to become a better person this year? Why have you not done it yet? How are you going to lose those bad habits this year? So that's the end of the sermon. If you just lose that two pounds or two stone, in my case, that you put on over Christmas, then everything will be fine. You will be happy, and you'll never need to worry about anything ever again. Everything in life will be rainbows and lollipops, just as long as you lose that half a pound that you put on on Christmas Day, right? New Year is such an opportunity for a healthy refocusing our hearts and our minds and our bodies on what God has for us. But even in the church, we get duped into this meaningless, godless moralism, rubbish. We even think even starting up a new year Bible plan will fix the fact that we haven't really encountered God in years. We think that if we place the emphasis on ourselves, then we can control it. We focus on what we can do. We focus on how we can change ourselves. We focus on how we can make everything all better again. And and not for the first time, In the church's history, I think we yet again completely, totally miss the point. So I'm going to make a a bold guess tonight. My bold guess is that nearly, nearly everybody in this room at some point has wondered why on earth they bother with the church. Give me a little nod if that's about right. Boldly again, I'd say if you haven't, you will at some point. And in fact, I'd probably encourage you to think, why bother? Why are you here? What is the point of us being here tonight? You know, the church is going through changes and changes in the 21st century. More and more people are saying stuff like, can't I just do this on my own? I hardly have time to be here, let alone commit to a community or a team. And to be honest, there are too many weirdos here for my liking. I just want to hang out with people like me that think the same thing as me, that just do the same stuff as me. Or people might say, well, the church is dying, it's had its day, and to be honest, this is the 21st century, so what I think of God is what I think of God. And nobody else here thinks the same way as I do, so I'm just going to go and do my own thing. Why bother with the church? In a moment, I'm going to read a letter um, that John wrote down that Jesus spoke to the church 2,000 years ago in a kind of prophetic vision. My voice just changed. Um, but 
before we get there, before we get there, before I put all sorts of ideas into your heads, I just want to ask you a quick question. If the pen was in your hand, what would you say? If you had to write a letter to the church, whether it was this church, the church in Scotland, in the world, what would you say? So I'm going to give you 10 seconds to think about it in the silence. What would you say? I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 2. From the beginning of the chapter, it will be behind me on the screen. And it says this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you, and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent." Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So it all starts before we have this word from Jesus through John that comes to the church in Ephesus. It all starts with a vision of Jesus. God shows up in this incredible way to John and he is a man undone by this wild vision of Jesus. Revelation 1, which comes before Revelation 2, John notes down what he saw about Jesus, that his eyes were blazing like fire that his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And your new year and your whole life simply has to start with a vision of the risen, ascended, loving, compassionate Jesus. It cannot start with just the hope of a slightly better version of yourself. A slightly fitter, a slightly smarter, a slightly more disciplined version of yourself. Politically speaking, 2016 was crazy. And we've had like a week and it's still been pretty crazy, hasn't it? Everybody's like, Kira was saying, 2016, 2016, ah, no, it's just, it's just a year. We've all got new calendars and the craziness has continued. Socially speaking, for, for, for some of us, for a lot of us, 2017 was a hard year. 2017 could be more of the same. It's sometimes scary. It's anxious to know where the help's going to come from. It's anxious to know where the money's going to come from. In the middle of fear and anxiety in our lives and in our world, the one thing, the only thing that will speak life into your new year is a picture of Jesus. 
is adoration of the Son of God. That vision continued. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Imagine seeing what John saw and not being completely changed forever. A vision can change everything. Martin Luther King had a dream that, that one day, he could see it in his mind's eye, that one day things would change, that eventually begun to change a nation. I imagine that every sports champion goes to bed and sees themselves as they lie, their head in the pillow of them, lifting that trophy. And actually so much of what's happened in the history, in the life of this church has, has come, has risen from the prophetic visions of Jesus, of him speaking, of him walking around in Edinburgh. How much better than positive thinking could focusing on the risen son of God, the lion of Judah as we sang tonight, the lamb that was slain, bring transformation to your life. And there is so much to say about this letter to the church in Ephesus, and I really hope that this year we get a chance to go back to it sometime. But I really want to keep it simple today, because Jesus kept it so simple for them in what he said. To the one who holds the right, sorry, the one who holds the stars in his right hand says, I know your deeds. So as I predicted, Jesus is just like Santa Claus, Santa Claus, Santa Claus, after all. I knew it because he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows when you've been bad and when you've been good, he knows your deeds and he sees all of your hard work. These letters were for specific churches at specific times, but they remain so apt and so true for all of us today. And this word is so definitely true for this church here and for you guys here tonight. He sees you. He sees the way that you struggled on for him through the darkest of nights, through the most difficult of situations, through the rejection of people and of friends through confusion and why you're involved in any of this at all. He's seen it all. He knows your toil. He knows your perseverance. The Greek word here is hupomone, which means steadfast endurance. This church in Ephesus was rock solid. Like so many of you here, they had no problems in the faithfulness department. He goes on. You've weeded out the right people. Well done. The false prophets are nowhere near your church. The fake apostles are nowhere near your church. You got rid of Carl Martin and you sent him off to New Zealand for a whole month. Well done. You stayed true to what is right and you're giving your all in pursuit of seeing his kingdom come. You're working so hard, guys. You want to see his kingdom come. You want to see heaven come down. You want to see it inhabit this earth. And it can be exhausting. And Jesus sees them and he says, well done. Jesus also commends the Ephesians for their sound teaching. You've done your homework, Jesus says, and it's important. You know the scriptures. And this clearly matters to him so much. So often at active, world-changing, out-there, kingdom, missional churches, we are quick to dismiss those who think we spend too much time in Bible studies and scripture commentaries But 
This stuff is important to Jesus. It gets his well done. It should be important to us too. It's a mighty weapon in the hands of the church if we get to know his word. There are so many things that Jesus commends to the church. Well done, he says again. Maybe some of you here tonight need a bit of a well done. So many churches, I think, come every Sunday to get flogged by some fiery preacher telling them that they've missed the mark. We know. We know that we've missed the mark. We know that our lives are plagued by falling short and letting each other down. What we need to know is that he's still with us. What we need to know is is his forgiveness. And he is and he does. And the well done of the Father was at the absolute center, the absolute core of Jesus' identity. Well done, good and faithful servant. The Father spoke over the Son and launched him into his ministry in the earth. So don't you think it should maybe be something we talk about a little bit more? Turn to the person beside you. Look them right in the eye, whether you've seen them a million times, you've never seen them before, and just say, well done. See? The world feels like a better place already, doesn't it? You nurses and you doctors working on Christmas Day for the third year in a row, well done. You missional community leaders who who get no thanks for tirelessly working for the good of others, giving your whole life so that people might know Jesus, well done. Mums and dads who try and live godly examples but get nothing but hassle and tears and arguments, well done. Jesus sees it and he loves your faithful perseverance. He loves your steadfast endurance. He sees you and you have not grown weary when others would have. And so Jesus just finishes there. He says, well done, thanks for coming, everyone. Just grab a party bag on your way out. No, he doesn't actually, sorry. No, he's not finished with them yet. His tone changes, actually. He says, well done, and he invites us to come and get to know him better and know how much that he loves us. And then he says, this I have against you. Isn't it annoying when people have stuff against you? Can't we just let it go? Just little petty things, tiny little things can become huge things just because people just don't let stuff go. Like my friend Harrison, I was best man at his wedding last year and um, we were really excited. We woke up on the day and we all started to get ready, we started to get changed and we all started to put on our lovely navy three-piece suits and I put on my jacket, thought this is great, started to put on my trousers and I couldn't get them on. And Harrison said, well, didn't you try them on? Didn't you check them? I said, yeah, I checked them. I'm a 32. These are a 32. I thought they'd be absolutely fine. But I couldn't fit them on. And it was his wedding day. And we were in Northern Ireland. And there wasn't a shop nearby. And so he hasn't really stopped holding against me the fact that I had to kind of wear a little safety pin to keep my flies together. People just need to let things go. I think. And you know when it's silly stuff like that, we can just say, that's your stuff, it's not mine, you've got that against me, whatever. But this one's a little bit different. When Jesus writes basically a letter to your church and says that he holds something 
against you, I think that's when you better sit up and take notice. You have forgotten your first love. You've forgotten your first love. Maybe you know the feeling of the love having gone in a relationship. Maybe it's painful to remember when it just grows cold, when even the things that you used to hold together and share together that nobody else did become just points of sadness instead of things of excitement. There aren't many worse things than being stuck in a relationship with no love, whether that's romantic, whether that's family, whether that's friendship. There isn't really much point, is there, serving one another, doing your whole life together, getting a mortgage, making food together, whatever you do in that relationship when there is no love exchanged. Kind of remember that historic TV or movie scene of, of that husband returning to the really cold house, to the meal that's been made by his long-suffering wife, sit there in silence, eating, nothing said, go to bed, eat, sleep, repeat. Or when you go out to dinner and you're having a great time and you notice those people that have sat there for two hours just kind of eating their greens, not saying a word to each other for the whole thing and you're just like, wow, okay. And have you ever felt like that when you've gone to pray? Have you ever felt like that when you've opened up the scriptures like it's just hard work? When you've lost that loving feeling. Where is the love? Can you feel the love tonight? Sorry, I've just written down a bunch of song titles. Sorry. Um, remember, Jesus says, remember when you used to spend hours worshipping at that summer festival. For me, it was at Soul Survivor. I remember that time so clearly when when reading scripture made your heart feel alive and excited about the day and the week to come, when serving and loving others brought you closer to really knowing the face of God, when you couldn't wait to share your faith with others. Do you remember? Verse 5, this letter, consider how far you've fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. Jesus doesn't just say, feel sorry for yourself, just carry on as usual. Jesus doesn't just say, well, just have a, a bit of a cry. But you know, don't, don't bother changing anything. He says, repent. He says, turn your gaze back to me. Change the way that you're doing things. Get a vision of me and return to the place that you started from. Maybe it's the physical place. Sometimes Pilgrimages can be useful, but return to the things that you used to do. Have you ever noticed how it's always the new Christians that are the best at sharing their faith, just running from this place to the next and saying, oh my goodness, my life has changed forever and I will never be the same and you need to come and meet this guy Jesus and you need to come to an Alpha course and you need to come to church and you need to come to my baptism service and are you coming? When are you coming? Why are you not coming yet? I've met a few of those people. Ever noticed how when you just met Jesus, you just can't get enough of his presence? It's the pinnacle of your life. It is the end game. It's the grand design. It's the whole purpose of being made human is to love God. 
That's it. And Ephesus was a church of big influence. It was one of the big hitters. Paul had kind of planted it. He'd passed it on to his kind of apprentice, Timothy. And then later on, the apostle John, who was one of the guys who knew Jesus best, had spent time leading that church. And they had known a thing or two about the love of God. John was the one who wrote the letters saying, Dear friends, do you know that God is love? John is the one, before he got exiled to Patmos, um, to this island where he had these visions of Jesus, he was the one who used to get literally carried around from house to house, just looking into people's eyes and just saying, Little children, do you know how much the Father loves you? So what happened to this church? Where did it all go wrong for them? They had the teaching. They had the best teachers. They had great leadership. It was a big city center church. It was growing, expanding the whole time. But somewhere along the point, they just totally missed it. They just totally missed it. They were successful, but they did not take responsibility for growing, for cultivating this relationship of love with God. I don't know what happened in Ephesus. Maybe it just became easier to organize rotors, to send out emails, just to manage the Christian side of their lives and then do their work. Maybe it just became easier to try and avoid sinning, to try and be good people, just to try and stay out of trouble but never really made space to grow in affection for Jesus. We can have the soundest theology, but still not know Jesus. We can change the world in his name, working for amazing charities, leading incredible churches, doing world-changing things in politics, in business, but we can still operate from a place of trying to earn God's love rather than really enjoying it each day the apostle Paul wrote in Corinthians he said this and some of you will know this really well maybe just hear it with fresh ears tonight if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Let's be honest with with one another tonight. This is the struggle that so many of us will face in 2017. This is the battle for our very souls that is raging right now. Are we going to move forward in closeness with Jesus? Or are we going to stay exactly where we are and get left behind? That's always the struggle for, for me Working here at a church, you think, oh, everything must be perfect. You have to be so determined to build your relationship with God when nobody is looking. And it can be hard. That is the battle for us, for Claudia and I and others, as we begin to lead this church in Stenhouse down the road. 
the world and often the church will, will want to see results straight away and programs and new believers and new disciples and activity and, and so do we, those things are good things. But unless it starts with worship, unless it really starts with just loving and seeing Jesus, we might as well not bother. We gain nothing, Paul would say. It isn't fruitful, it won't last, it will be totally and utterly exhausting and I'm not up for that. So every day, repenting of what has been before, returning to the place of worship, repenting and then returning, facing Jesus again, getting that vision of him is the only thing that will sustain you as you look to serve him. Think of the woman who lay at the feet of Jesus, smothering perfume all over his feet. That is the Christian life we're called to. Think of the the 13-year-old kid that wants to be a worship leader, so they spend an hour a day practicing piano or guitar or whatever in their bedroom, and they think they just want to get better at their instrument, but something happens where they they get completely overtaken by the love of God. That is the wonder that we are supposed to never lose. And maybe I'm not even supposed to say this, but I think it's so cool that the leadership here at Central and some of the staff and the elders have committed this week at the beginning of 2017 just to pray, just to pray and even cancel meetings, which I am just devastated about. I love those meetings. But what better way to start a year What other way are you going to start your year with doing? Jesus says, yeah, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did. So whether it's Ephesus, whether it's Central, whether it's Stenhouse Baptist that we are leading, we can be a church that does all the right things, even pioneer new expressions of church, but we can have lost that deep, deep sense of affection, of adoration, of love for Jesus. And it's just playing at church. It's not real. It's all totally meaningless. You know, if the reason that we're here is to sing a few songs, go and join a community choir. It can be a lot of fun. The reason that we're here is to make friends, go and join badminton club down the road or something. I'll look one up for you online. But if the reason that we are here is because it started somewhere with an encounter and a vision of Jesus, if the reason that you're here is because it started with with overwhelmingly knowing that you're loved by him, or even just knowing that there's something greater out there that you want to discover even if it's become hard and you feel lost and and you can't recapture easily what you once had, if it's any of those things, then this is the right place. This series is called The Church. And sorry if you're feeling a bit shortchanged because I've hardly said anything about the church really so far. All I've done is bang on about pursuing a love relationship with God. Come on, we want to hear about the church, Thomas. Hopefully, no surprises there. But I just want to say a couple of things about how this fits in with our vision here of what church is at Central. Jesus' rebuke and his encouragement to the church in Ephesus 
gives us a vision of who the church is supposed to be. Individuals pursuing Jesus and his kingdom and his presence together. We do church because relationship with Jesus together is the prize that we pursue. Because his presence is something that we've been made to experience together. We do church because we need one another to discern the voice of God. Because we need one another to follow it together. For accountability, for inspiration. Because we've been designed to function like one body. Not a dismembered, decapitated litany of limbs trying to make it on their own. Do you want me to read that sentence again? Yeah. Not a dismembered, decapitated litany of limbs trying to make it on their own. But praying together, worshipping together, taking kingdom risks together, loving Jesus together. And Jesus talks about repentance and maybe we as the church need to repent of when we've placed this Western Protestant work ethic right at the center of how we've chosen to be church, where we've prioritized structure and functioning like a successful organization ahead of actually getting to know this son of God, this amazing man, Jesus. It's time to admit that actually, yeah, we have screwed up and get back to it. Of course, we need structure as we grow. But Jesus says he actually holds it against us when we lose our love for him. The church's identity cannot be just as an establishment, a social action organization, but it has to be a motley crew of people of all shapes and sizes committed to one thing, loving Jesus. So I don't know the places where you've become weary in your faith, I wouldn't be surprised if you've had it with the church sometimes. If you felt like giving up at times. Because we hurt each other, don't we? We have so little, it seems, in common sometimes. People just don't get it. People can be so unbelievably annoying at times, can't they? I'm just talking about myself. Take a look around you. Go on. Quick look around you. This is Edinburgh Thomas. We don't do that sort of thing. Take, come on, take a good look around you. This is God's plan A for the world. As ridiculous and as laughable as that may seem. The resurrected, ascended Jesus left behind this straggling bunch of nobodies. And the world has never been the same since. And Jesus offers a fresh start for his church. He offers a fresh start for us all individually as well. And that's what he does. He is not just the God of second chances. He is the God of resurrection. He loves to breathe life into things that may appear dead. That the world looks at and says, oh my goodness, that is so irrelevant. He loves to breathe life. He invites us to remember, to repent and to return, to remember what it was like when we first met him. I'd love it if some of us just had a clear vision tonight of what it was like when we first met Jesus, the grace that we saw in his eyes, the light that flooded us 
as we encountered him, his spirit speaking to us constantly about who we are and what he's called us to do. The things we did back then, the habits that we had, to repent for what it's become. That song that maybe some of us know, The Heart of Worship, was written by Matt Redman not so that it could be sung in stadiums and theatres, but it was written for his little church in Watford because they just start to go through the motions. They were just singing songs for the sake of it. They just turned up and did the same thing every week and they just completely lost it. It just became a bit of a game. But when they needed to encounter the living God again, they just stripped it back and they said, here we are. God, would you reveal yourself to us again? Repentance, just seeking a fresh vision of Jesus. Returning to him. Jesus with the sword. Jesus with the voice like rushing waters. Jesus with those bronze feet. Jesus with the face that shines like the sun. Jesus the lamb of God. Slain for the sins of the world. Jesus the man who so compassionately engaged with humanity. Jesus the son of God. Come to redeem the world and rescue us. I'm just going to read those verses again. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Pretty amazing words. We pray together. your kindness God that leads us to repentance it's your kindness Lord that leads us to repentance thank you that you set us free God from things that used to hold us back like guilt and shame thank you for the power that is in your name thank you for the power that was in your death and resurrection thank you that we are yours forever But Lord, we want to experience this life to the full. We want to step into the purpose that we were created for, to love you. I think it's a come let us adore him that has that line, who could not love you, loving us so dearly? Who could not love you, Jesus? You are amazing. And so we're going to take time to respond to him. And we've all come with our own stuff. Tonight, we've all come with our own anxieties about this year, about, with our own uncertainties, with our own feeling of, of failure at points as well, where we haven't been the Christian that we want to be. 
But our God is the God of resurrection. Our God is the God of kindness, of love, of mercy. And he just wants to raise you up again. He says, come follow me. And I wonder maybe we just need to respond first as a church. And also just respond as individuals. I wonder whether if we can, let's, let's all stand together and we'll just pray just as a, as a body together. So I haven't really um, written anything out or anything, but I wonder whether we can just pray and I'll, I'll pray a line and we can all say it together afterwards. I'll just keep it short. We can just return um, into our Father's loving arms tonight. So, Lord Jesus, we recognize your love. We're sorry for when we've placed other things ahead of you. Jesus, be the center. Jesus, we love you. And Jesus, we need you. Amen.